Morning everybody, I hope the worship went really well. I know you weren't really expecting to see me, certainly not on video this morning, um, but with Jane's dad dying recently, Rob needs to spend his time with Jane, so I'm filling in for Rob this morning. And I'm finishing off Romans for us. We're going to look at the whole of Romans 16. Uh, so let's let's read it, shall we? Romans chapter 16. I'm going to read from the NIV this morning, although a lot of my study has been done on the ESV. So let's read Romans 16. In the NIV. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Centray. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachis. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, whose women work hard, oh, those women work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asnicritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who call divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother, Cortus, send you their greetings. Now, in lots of Bibles, verse 24 is not there. It's, it's either in parentheses or it's written at the bottom, uh, because it's not in every manuscript. But some manuscripts include here, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen. And then Paul goes on to say, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel 
the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's the end of Romans. Way! I'll get you cakes next week. Right, let's have a look. Let's see what I... Uh, picking up from this from the book of Romans the things that I think God might be saying and the first thing that really strikes me is this list of names there's all sorts of names some of which I fumbled over as you can tell now when I was young um, when people were asked when the children were asked what they wanted to do when they grew up children would say I want to be a train driver or I want to be a pilot, or I want to be a nurse, or I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a teacher, something like that. Some kind of profession they wanted to go into. But nowadays children don't do that. Nowadays what children do is they say, I want to be famous. And children seem to want to chase fame for its own sake. There are lots of people who seem to be chasing fame for their own sake. And in fact, if you watch the news um, and they have people on, sometimes they describe this person or that person as, quote, an influencer. Um, whatever that means. Now in this passage there are 33 different names and there are other people as well who are described as so-and-so's mother or the church that meets in so-and-so's house or so-and-so's brothers and sisters. So there are lots and lots of people described in this passage and listed in this passage, um, only a couple of whom are actually mentioned elsewhere in the scripture. There are so many people mentioned that with those couple of exceptions, they are all but unknown to us. Let's think of all the giants of faith that we can, you know, um, add together every single famous Christian you can think of. Um, from 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 people like the disciples to the early church fathers, people like Augustine, Aquinas, Tyndale, Wycliffe, Fingley, Luther, Calvin, um, coming into more modern times, uh, Wesley, Spurgeon, Whitfield, Hudson Taylor, Smith Wigglesworth, Billy Graham, Jackie Pullinger. The list goes on and it seems almost endless, doesn't it? And yet, if you add them all up together, they fade into insignificance when you think about the number of Christians there are that exist. At the minute, 2.2 billion people in our planet believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are 2.2 billion Christians in the world today. So if, even if you measure them up against the Christians that there are in the world today, there are incredibly rare people who are famous as Christians. And one of the things I believe um, we can learn from this morning is that God always notices and gives value to the unknown he notices and gives value to the unnoticed people, to the women, to the children, to the people who were unclean, to the people whose jobs people hated, the tax collectors and the publicans, to the people who were pressed to the margins of society. They all found love and acceptance and welcome with Christ. And my point here is to remind us that in all likelihood, not one of us will become a giant in the faith who will be remembered in centuries to come. We will be all but unknown in the world. In fact, it's been said that even your own family won't remember your name after two or three generations. I don't know if it's true for you. We can remember our grandparents' names. Some of us can even remember our great-grandparents' names. But unless we've made the effort to go on Ancestry.com and look at our family tree, very few of us will even know the names of our great-great-grandparents'.
Not one of you is unknown to God. You're valuable to God. Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And he says, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground without their father knowing. He says, every hair on your head is numbered and don't be afraid because you are more valuable than many sparrows. The first thing to take away from our message this morning is how valuable you are to God and that even if the world doesn't notice you, God does. Even if the world doesn't value you, God does. Even if the world doesn't care about you, about who you are and about how you end up, God cares. The second thing I want to pick up on this is like hints from church life. There are some extra comments that Paul made as he read, as he listed these these names about people and what they did and how they did. And it gives us some hints on how we list, how we live out our faith. Here are just a few of them. Phoebe, we're told, was a benefactor for many people, including Paul. She provided for people. Priscilla and Aquila, Paul says, risked their lives for the gospel and for him. Mary, he says, worked very hard for them. Andronicus and Junior were imprisoned for their faith. Urbanus was a fellow worker, he says. Apelles was faithful in the testing. Tryphena and Tryphosa worked hard. Persis worked very hard for the Lord. Rufus' mother was not only a mother to Rufus, but a mother to Paul as well. Gaius was hospitable. Now, I hope you've got them all. Um, and the one thing that comes very strongly across for me is... is is, is is this characteristic of hard work, Mary, Trophina, Trophosa, Persis. The things that Paul seems to commend in this list of people are what we might consider to be ordinary things. Hard work, bravery, being a mother. There isn't a single teacher or prophet or evangelist amongst them, or at least not that they're commended for those things. In fact, only two of them are displayed as 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 as, ex, uh, uh, as exhibiting any spiritual gifts at all, which are hospitality and faithfulness. And I wonder if someone were to write something about you, or about me, what would they say? Is there anything noticeable about the way we live our lives? If you cast your mind around and think of the people that you know around you, is there anyone who who epitomises some kind of characteristic um, in their life, something that's noticeable? I mean, my friend Cliff is, um, you, some of you have met him, he, he's just simply an encourager. He can't help himself. I've watched him um, interact with people and, and it just it just kind of comes out of every boy, just encourages everyone he is with. If you could say one thing about Cliff, you would say he's an encourager. Jane, um, who uh, Rod and Jane were going to be with us. Jane is a magnet for the unseen, unwanted people in every church. Every church we've seen her in. Um, she gathers and brings in and includes those people who seem to sit at the margins, the people who, who people who other people instinctively don't sit next to, the people that you might describe as oddballs. Jane instinctively gathers them in and makes them feel wanted and makes them feel valued and makes makes them feel they've got a place. They don't fall into the trap of thinking that you've either got it or you haven't. It is possible to choose to exhibit one or any of these characteristics and what I mean by this is if you're not naturally hospitable it is possible to make a choice to become hospitable if you're not naturally a generous person it is possible to choose to be generous and so on it might take an effort for you to do that particularly initially but it is possible 
And one key to become like that is to decide before the occasion arises, before the opportunity arises. God chose us, we're told in the Bible, before the foundation of the world. That's in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, it, we're told by in Titus that eternal life was promised before the ages began. Uh, Romans, beginning of Romans, Paul says that the gospel was promised beforehand. Um, and Jesus, we're told, endured the cross. In Hebrews, the writers of Hebrews says Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. These are things that were chosen beforehand. Let's make a choice to be the kind of people that God is calling us to be. It's not good enough just to, to just say, I can't help it, that's just the way I am. For a start, as a Christian, that's not the way you are. You, that may be the way you were, but the way you are is a new creation. A born again believer of Jesus Christ with the Spirit of God in you guiding you and leading you and if you allow the spirit to guide you and lead you well you will start to exhibit the fruits of the spirit and you will start to become more christ-like that's why the bible talks about us ever changing from glory into glory and becoming more like christ and the third thing i want to mention this morning is about divisions and obstacles Verses 17 to 18 warns the church. Paul says, I appeal to you to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrines you've been taught. He says, avoid them because they don't serve God. They don't serve Christ. They deserve their own appetites. And by smoother talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of naive people. Note that the two things that Paul says that are seen as opposing the gospel is division and obstacles. And churches are off quite often full of divisions and obstacles that we have to get over. Um, and we need to beware of such things. I frequently bang on about um, unity in church and how important it is for us to be united and not to put obstacles in each other's way. So I'm not going to kind of focus on that this morning. What I want to focus on this morning is the tactics they're using. Paul talks about smooth talk and flattery. And we find that tactic used elsewhere in the Bible. We read in Peter's that in Peter 1, Peter 2, Peter writes that false prophets arise among you just as there were false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, he says, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. He says many will follow sensuality and because of them the word truth will be blasphemed and their greed, for their greed, it says, they will exploit you with their words. And in Thessalonians, Paul, he says, I'm not like that. He says, our appeal does not come from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we've been approved by God and entrusted uh, with the gospel, we speak not to please men, but to please God. And he says, he tests our hearts, he says, because we, um, we did not come with words of flattery. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed, for God is our witness. We did not seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Daniel, um, the prophet, uh, he, he talks about a mighty king who will rise in Daniel 11. And one of the characteristics of this mighty king is this. is as forces from him will take, will appear and profane the temple and the fortress and will take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolation. And he will seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. And although we're very aware of the physical persecution that Christians all over the world have to suffer, although we know about the dangers of, of false religions and cults, 
one of the most dangerous things that we have is this threat of infiltration in the church of false ideas um, and people who oppose God in the church itself and it's especially true nowadays it's difficult to miss the twisting of the gospel in some churches nowadays that are in the guise of love and tolerance um, some people or many churches are starting to reject the gospel in fact they're starting to criticize clear teaching of scriptures and that is far more dangerous i believe and far more insidious than any amount of external persecution that might come on the church we've got to be really careful in the church not to allow people to lead us astray and the one question question we should ask um of any teaching that we're listening to whether it's something that i bring um on a sunday morning or a tuesday or whether or not it's something you hear at a christian camp like new wine or creation fest or something like that or whether it's something you hear on the internet on youtube or something like that or tv um is this is what i am being taught here in line with the scripture in line with the revealed word of god in his word we do not ask, does this feel good? We ask, is this true? And here are some red flags for you, for you to discern whether or not you need to be wary of teaching. The first one is this, is someone saying, this is a new revelation that no one else in history has ever, has ever understood before. The second thing is, is, is any teacher who says something along the lines of, I know the Bible says this. But that's not actually what it means. And another red flag is this. If you follow and accept this teaching, it will transform your life. The thing that transforms your life is not teaching. It is the Lord. It's Jesus through his Holy Spirit transforming you. So how do we defend against this teaching? Well, the first hint, the first defence is from Daniel, where Daniel says, people who know their God will stand firm. The first defence is this, is make sure you know God. St spend time with God, spend time in prayer, spend time in his words, spend time with his people. And I cannot tell you over the years how many people I have met who have fallen away or been led astray um, because they haven't done that. And I would say that people don't leave the church because they're starting to doubt or starting to lose their faith. I would argue that people start to doubt and start to lose their faith because they distance themselves from God and from his word and from his people. Secondly, Paul says, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine. It says, avoid them. Avoid divisive people. Avoid false teaching is. Now, we, don't, um, we, we need to understand what true teaching is because you can't know what false teaching is unless you know what the truth is. So we need to study the truth, but we need to avoid false teachers. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul tells Timothy to flee false teachers. And 1 Timothy 6 gives us our next defence. It says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness and gentleness. In other words, don't just recognise false things and avoid them. Pursue good things, pursue the things of God. And that's echoed in Philippians, isn't it? Philippians 4, where, where Paul writes, finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So 
keep in God's plan, keep in his in, in his hands, stay in prayer with him, stay in the woods, stay in the church. Avoid and flee from things that are not of God and pursue the righteous things of God. Those three things will help you to guard against false teaching. And finally, Paul finishes his letter in Romans with this doxology. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Our God had a plan. He fulfilled that plan. And that plan is what brings us into new life, into new relationship with him. And it is to him we must give the glory. I hope you have a brilliant rest of the day and a brilliant week. And I will see you on Tuesday night at House Group.